A little while ago, our brother Terrence asked to borrow my car, <laughs> and so I threw the keys to him and went on about my business, and he brought it back, and it was a totally different car. <laughs> Meaning it was no longer covered with an inch of mud, which was really sweet of Terrence, and I enjoyed having a clean car for about 30 minutes, and then I became myself again and went out bushwhacking that afternoon because I love to go out driving on dirt roads, you know, up the back of Mount Lemon and around by Saverin, just all over the place. And uh, I sent poor Terrence a picture of the car that afternoon. It was kind of like, sorry, I'm still being me. So most of the time that's fun and I like to go off and stuff, but uh, there came an afternoon when I had gone bushwhacking on a day like this, it was kind of iffy weather. And I was supposed to be back here at church by six for our friendship circle. And uh, along about 4.30-ish, I had to call Tim and say, Tim, I'm not going to make it home by 6. I was out bushwhacking, and I thought I knew where I was going, but apparently I'm not where I thought I was because I just drove up on a huge canyon, and I can't go any farther. I'm going to have to turn around and go back to where I think I started from and hope I can find my way home, and I'm going to be late. And it was kind of embarrassing, but, you know, that's my life. I like to go bushwhacking, and I might get lost. Can't figure out where I am or how to get home. I did eventually get home, apparently. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like dealing with temptation in life. This is the first Sunday of Lent, and one of the main issues of Lent is dealing with temptation. And the thing is, when I'm dealing with temptation, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I know where I am and where I'm going and how to get there, but I could be really wrong. And temptation can be a real uh, thing. I want to look at how Jesus dealt with temptation. Let's look at Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. This is right after Jesus' baptism. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, that's Bible code for a long time, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're really the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to me, just say <laughs> Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and tended to him. Here's the thing, Jesus might have gotten lost. The temptations that he was faced with were big temptations. The temptation to take care of his own needs. The temptation to be safe no matter what. The temptation for power. Those are temptations we all face. And the reason he was able to be victorious in those temptations was not because he was God. Remember, he gave up godhood to be a human being with us. 
while he was here on earth with us, he was a human being. The reason that he was able to conquer those temptations was because he was sanctified. He was spiritually mature. He had grown up in the Lord. Luke 2.51, he talks about when Jesus was 13. He's just on the verge of being a man. And his parents had taken him down to Jerusalem for the festivals. And he went off into the temple. Remember all that? And they came and got him and said, what did you do that for? Let's go home. And it says, he went down to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So even though he's God in the flesh, he's still a kid and he has to learn righteousness. He has to learn how to follow God. He has to learn how to take care of the people around him. And he does. He becomes obedient to his parents and obedient to God and he learns from them. So this is the beginning of Lent, and we are meditating on the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us clean before God and restores our relationship with God. And this is also a time to concentrate on becoming more like Jesus. It's a time of being purified, a time of conquering our own temptations, because these are temptations that we also face. We face the temptation to want to provide for our own needs, we spend a whole lot of time thinking about the next meal and the next paycheck and all that stuff. We also are tempted by the need to provide our own safety. You know, to, to get the guns and to get the tests and to do all the things to keep ourselves safe because we want to stay alive all the time. And we're also tempted with power. You know, it's not just, just Jeff Bezos who's tempted to be powerful, it's each of us. We are tempted when we have a chance to be powerful over the people around us and to control them or manipulate them or boss them around or, you know, have some kind of power over them. Power is extremely seductive. And there's another temptation that we face that it doesn't mention Jesus facing, but we know that he did, and that's a temptation to be complacent to figure, you know, I'm saved. I can just sit down and cut through my life and everything's cool. I don't have to think about what God might want. I don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit. I, just, I don't have to do that stuff. As Jesus grew up in spiritual maturity, so must we. We start the journey. Let's look at how we go about becoming like Jesus. What does it mean to become like Jesus? Well, Dan talked last week about being holy, being set apart, set apart from the world and the way the world does things. The Bible talks about how the world is being currently ruled by our enemy. The principalities and powers of the world, that's our enemy. And you notice the way the world does things are not godly ways. The world is deeply into having power over people around you getting control over nature and using it no matter what, getting stuff for myself, me and mine, and the heck with you guys. That's the way of the world. That's normal. That's what we expect life to be like because our enemy wants us to be living in fear and greed and complacency. That's what we're supposed to expect. That's what we believe in, if you will. 
So before we became saved, our behavior showed our separation from God and our compliance with the way of the world. We did normal, just like everybody else does normal. But once we become saved, our behavior is supposed to show our unity with God and our separation from the way of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. By a single offering, he, Jesus, was perfected for, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So this has two parts that are really important to look at. The first part is we're already holy. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are made clean from our sin. Jesus has perfected us for all time, a one-time event. And we know that we still sin. I mean, John talks about if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us, right? We're already holy and we're still sinning. God has started the work of making us like Jesus and he's continuing it. Think about Philippians where it says, being confident in this, he who began a work, good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Who began a good work in us? God, with the power that raised Jesus from the dead, God has begun a good work in us and he will carry it on to the day of completion. Look back at the, at the verse, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we're perfect and we're being sanctified. We're already there and we're on the journey. It doesn't make sense in the world, but it makes sense in God's world because that's the way God is. He's already given us the victory and now we're running the race. God is way cool. So our, our guilt is gone and our struggle remains. We're still being formed into the image of Jesus. And Lent is a time to lean into this process. We spend a lot of time thinking about and meditating on and paying attention to the way that Jesus made us perfect. The way that his blood and his body are shed and broken for us so that we are already standing in heaven before the throne of God made perfect. And we also concentrate on the journey, on becoming more like Jesus, conforming more and more to his image and less and less to the way the world works. Okay? So, it's a time to examine ourselves with the Holy Spirit's help. And I just want to caution you, don't examine yourself without the Holy Spirit's help. Because then the devil will be helping you. And you know how the devil talks to you? You know that, you know, you're a loser, you're, you're never going to, you're alone, you're, you, know, you know that stuff? Okay, so get the Holy Spirit to help you examine yourself. We read together Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. We tend to think that that means, and in who is a virtuous person. But the phrase no deceit comes after our repentance. When you repent, you're no longer lying to yourself. You're no longer lying to God. You're, you're not trying to kid anybody. You come before God and say, 
this is what I've been up to, Lord. I repent. I want to turn around and go the, the other way. I want to head towards you instead. That's what an in whose spirit is no deceit is all about. No longer lying to myself, no longer lying to God. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. John says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins, make us perfect, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the walk towards becoming like Jesus. It's not like taking the ice bucket challenge where you, you know, and you're clean. That was the first step. That's what Jesus did. Our being cleansed from all unrighteousness is learning day by day, moment by moment, how to walk towards God with Jesus. Being cleansed. Think about 10 years ago, say. What kind of Christian were you then, if you were a Christian then? Think about some of the temptations that you have learned how to conquer since then. If you've been asking God to make you a more loving person, are you a more loving person now than you were then? I hope so. Were you asking God to help you be braver, bolder? Are you braver and bolder now than you were 10 years ago? I hope so. And, you know, if not, keep bearing into it. Keep pushing into it. Were you asking God to help you persevere and be strong? Are you stronger now than you were then? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you search yourself and continue to lean into and press forward and follow hard after Jesus in the direction that he's leading you. Sometimes the problems that come up in our life are problems that God hands us so we can get our teeth into really growing. You know what I'm talking about? We had a, a, a beautiful, lovely lady back when, way, way back in the Stone Age when I was baptized here at this church, and uh, she had a son who was severely autistic and he could kind of barely manage. He managed, though. I mean, he, he lived his life. But she was one time sharing in our prayer group. She said, I prayed for patience and God gave me Robert. You know, and bless Robert, he was a blessing to her because she was the most patient person I have ever met. She was amazing. And Robert wasn't bad either, you know? <laughs> Sometimes, though, we can be afraid of confession, afraid to confess. Confession is not a, a word that we use in America with any joy. We can be afraid of confession, not just confessing those secret sins that we don't want anybody to discover, you know, but also we don't want to let the Holy Spirit open our closets and stir up our luggage and look under the rug in our personal house because we don't want to know stuff we don't know about. You know, I don't want the Holy Spirit to pull back the rug and, oh, that's where all the cat toys went. Okay. <laughs> You know, so we can be afraid of confession in the sense of, I don't want to know the bad news about myself, so I just kind of ignore it. But nevertheless, those unknown sins keep us away from God. Sometimes we are afraid to face our own evil, afraid to admit to ourselves that we have actually done evil things, afraid to call it what it is. 
We want to distract ourselves and excuse ourselves and exonerate ourselves and numb ourselves. And in order to do that, we have to die inside a little bit to make the Holy Spirit shut up. The Bible talks very clearly about don't quench the Holy Spirit, don't pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. But that's what we do when we numb ourselves and, you know, la, 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 la. We're quenching the Holy Spirit. God is absolutely for us. He's on our side. Everything he brings to our attention, even the uncomfortable stuff, is good for us. It really is good. I mean, good like dessert. It's good. Think about, think about a time in your life when God kind of got you by the nape of the neck and said, now look, this has to stop. Or you've got to do this. You know one of those times? If you obeyed God, you're in better off than you were. You really are. And if you disobeyed him and said, no, I ain't gonna, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, you missed that blessing. Go back there and do it over. Do it right. Sometimes we're afraid to confess because we grew up in a household where anytime you did something wrong or weak or even just mistaken, you were shamed and punished and shamed and punished and punished and shamed. We don't want to go there. God doesn't want you going there either. When we confess to God, he doesn't shame us and punish us. He cleans us up. He gives us a nice warm bath and a hot towel and says, there, that's better. Thanks for coming in from the dirt. Show up a uh, graphic number one, if you would. We got that? Yeah, how good does it feel to be brokenhearted before God and reunited with the power of his love? It's a wonderful thing. When we acknowledge our guilt and confess it to God and to ourselves and to each other, it clears the air. It cleans things up. Little kids used to be taught this. They used to be taught, you know, you've done something, own up. Fess up. Tell the truth. We need to lean back into that. In the Greek, to confess means to say the same thing as or to agree with. So confessing means that we agree with God that our sin is a sin. Our evil is evil. Our way was wrong. We agree with him. And, and we agree that the work that Jesus has done on the cross to make us clean makes us clean. We confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That means we obey him and we trust that he has saved us. That's confession too. Anytime you're afraid to confess a sin, confess Jesus first. That'll help you relax a little bit. My big brother has saved me and made me clean and set me okay back at home. I can admit that I did wrong. It's okay. It's safe. I'll be all right. I'll be better than all right. Is that making sense? Yeah, okay. So the prodigal son, which is that picture by Rembrandt, the prodigal son was repentant. He admitted that he'd done wrong turned around and went the other way, went back home, and he was restored. His father met him in the road and said, you're my son again, welcome home. And he was changed. 
And he was not the same kid anymore. He was a different man. That's what the Bible's talking about, about being a new creature. When we repent and turn around and come back to God, he changes us. It's not the old you anymore. It's a new you. Let's have graphic number two. Remember in the psalm we talked about don't be like the horse or the mule because they have no understanding and if you don't put a bridle on them, they won't do anything for you. If you earn the trust of a horse and you teach them that it's okay to be teachable, you can get them to do stuff that a horse wouldn't ordinarily do. <laughs> it's actually kind of uncomfortable and difficult for a horse to lie on its back like that and it's frightening. The whole point of being a horse is being able to run away from danger. So for a horse to be able to lie on its back like that and stay there takes a lot of trust. But they can do it when they trust you. When we trust God, when we really get that he knows what's best for us and the things, the dangerous, scary, uncomfortable things that he might ask us to do are okay, we can do things with God that we could not have dreamed of doing by ourselves. Because he's got ideas about stuff that we just never even had that idea. So I want to look at the joy of being sanctified, the joy of the journey of becoming like Jesus. I know I've, I've shared with you before um, a thought that Graham Cook has that I just love. It, he says, God has already dealt with my sin once and for all. That's done. Now he's dealing with the new creation, the new you, growing you up to be like Jesus. I love that thought. When I confess, God has already dealt with my sin. What I'm confessing now is that I stumbled on my walk towards being like Jesus. He's dealing with the new me now. I don't have to drag all my baggage around with me, my old sinful self trying to be something I'm not. You know, have you ever gotten tired of, of the Christian walk of just kind of like, oh, I keep doing the same, oh, this is so tiring, I can't get there, I'm always, I'm a failure, failure, failure. That ain't God talking to you. That's your enemy trying to get you to quit. We're not dragging our baggage around with us anymore. We're dragging little baby knees and, you know, little inexperienced, we, don't do, we just don't know how to be new creations yet. And we're learning, we're getting there. Being a whole new creature. That's the joy of knowing that my continued struggles with my sins are over. Now I'm just struggling learning how to be a new creature. So, no shame about the journey. If you're feeling any shame at all about your walk with Jesus, drop it. <laughs> just drop it, it's over, no shame. Just help, Lord, I'm not good at this. Help, Lord, I'm scared. Help, Lord, I did that again. That's all. Confession's not that big a deal. Jesus makes us holy. We are just struggling to grow up into holiness. That's all. Let's have graphic number three up there. Jesus models this as a young man when he was working with Joseph. He, just, he would not come out as a baby knowing how to be a carpenter. He had to learn. He had to grow up into the, to the craftsmanship. 
as he's learning from Joseph, he's making mistakes and he's spoiling some good wood and he's breaking some stuff and Joseph doesn't beat him or shame him. Joseph is teaching him, shows him the correct way to do the work, holds his hands, demonstrates it, encourages him, gets some cheap wood in the shop so Jesus can practice on something that's not gonna, you know, they're working together and Jesus comes out the other end knowing how to be a good carpenter. Does this make sense? Yeah, this is good news, folks. God does this with us. If we acknowledge that we've messed up, God teaches us. Here's how to do this right. You have a busted relationship? You pray to God and say, okay, what am I supposed to do here? And he'll tell you. Pick up the phone and apologize. Or set this boundary here, not here, right here. You know, he'll teach you, he'll show you. So, back to the idea. This is the first Sunday of Lent. What do you think about when you think about Lent? Gotta give something up, right? <laughs> what am I supposed to give up for Lent? Should it be chocolate or social media or stupid clothes? You know, what am I supposed to give up for Lent? What do I give up? Here's the, here's the way to be stupid about this, is giving up something for Lent with the full intention that as soon as Lent is over, I'm gonna go right back to doing it. That's why I don't give up chocolate, because I know better. <laughs> that, that baby's going right back in the fridge the minute Easter comes. I mean, that's what Easter's all about, is chocolate, right? Yeah. Okay, so we don't give up something for Lent that we intend to go right back to. That's just pointless. Jesus has given us his all. He, he gave up everything. He gave up everything just to be with us. And then once he's with us, he gives up everything even more to make us clean and to set us back into relationship with God. So if Jesus can give up everything, here's some things we might consider giving up that would actually help us on our walk with Jesus. How about giving up hatred? Giving up contempt or bitterness against someone? That's a stinger, right? Kind of need to think twice about whether I really want to give that stuff up. But that's a gift I can give to someone who's been sinning against me. I can free them from my hatred and my desire to hurt them back whether they know it or not, whether they want it or not, I can still give them that gift. I have to be willing to do them good. Without that, there's no forgiveness and there's still sin. That's the hard part about forgiveness is we have to actually be willing to do it for our enemy, to do them good. It's not just about scraping them off my shoe and going on without all that stuff. That's not how it works. It doesn't mean that I have to trust my enemy and it doesn't mean that I can't have boundaries. I can absolutely have boundaries and I don't have to trust them if they're not trustworthy. It means I can't have hatred toward them. I cannot, hear this folks, I cannot live as a child of the king of love if I refuse to love. 
If I will not do it, I cannot be in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says you must forgive your enemies or your father can't forgive you. It's not God saying tit for tat. It just doesn't work. In order to be a child of God and live in the kingdom of love, I have to be willing to love, even people who make it damn difficult, even dangerous people, even people who are dead. I have to be willing to love them, to pray for them, to do them good if I can do it without getting a shot, to at least wish them well, to give up hatred and bitterness and contempt for Lent and not pick it up again at Easter. It is hard to do, amen? Okay, can you do it by yourself? Uh-uh, not a chance, not going to happen. What did Jesus give up to bring us forgiveness? We can give up our junk, our stuff, our garbage. Give it up. Give it up. Just give it up. If you struggle, ask Jesus to help you because he absolutely will help you. That's a promise. Because becoming like Jesus is joyful. Let's look at the joy of becoming like Jesus. The joy of becoming like Jesus. Sometimes we think of being like Jesus as kind of wearing the white robe and drifting around the landscape, you know, like, yeah. But <laughs> think about Jesus' life. Think about this, to be absolutely fearless. Jesus said things about Herod, the murderous king who had all the power there was to have in Jerusalem besides the Romans. He said stuff about Herod that would have got him killed if Herod could caught him. The only reason he wasn't killed is Herod couldn't catch him. He said things about the Pharisees that made them so mad. He said stuff about the Romans. Jesus was absolutely fearless. What he said was geared toward their redemption and helping them. But he said it anyway, even though he knew it was going to get him in big trouble. Here's another way it would be fun to be like Jesus. To be able to love anyone, anytime, in any circumstances, in a kind of love that transforms their life. You want to do that? Yeah? Does that sound like fun? What about being able to speak truth to power? being able to speak love to sinfulness. You got some stuck places in your life that you would be able to just say the will of God into it? You want to be able to do that? What about being able to bring healing in spirit and mind and body to people? And again, Jesus wasn't magic. When he spoke to people and healed their hearts and minds and diseases, he was doing things that he said we will be able to do. We can do this. John 14, 12, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I'm putting my spirit in you. You can, too, become like Jesus. Here's the last word. Don't give up. Don't give up. Give up despair for Lent, okay? Give it up for Lent and leave it. God does not get discouraged. We're the ones who get discouraged. God is not tired of you. 
God is not tired of you. God is committed to bringing you into the fullness of who you are in Christ. Amen? Yeah, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Lent is a time of joy. It's a time to lean into what God has accomplished to make us clean and bring us home. It's a time to lean into the journey of becoming more and more like our brother Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. I'm going to pray to close us, and then we are going to share communion together, a time to remember what God has done. Lord God, thank you so much for everything that you've done and all that you are doing. We believe the power of your mercy and the joy of your journey. Amen.